The uh, ne- next week are the uh, uh, is the the tent meetings, and um, just want to let you know. But there's a impromptu, semi-impromptu prayer time this Friday night. If anyone wants to go um, before the week of of uh, outreach um, and evangelism at 6:30 at the tents. And uh, so you can just go down and meet if anyone wants to pray over the site and just pray ahead of time. Pastor Herger called this morning, which we never answer the phone on a Sunday morning, but I was there and picked it up, so it's good timing. And he just wanted to invite anyone who wants to go and pray uh, 6.30 Friday night for the tent meeting next week. And, um, and anyone who, who's feeling like they wanted to be a part, they're starting to set up Tuesday. So if you've got a big hammer and want to pound some steaks or whatever they do, um, you can you can go there Tuesday or Wednesday and help some set up. Praise the Lord. Uh, Pastor Jeff, Elise, and Victor Vasquez are all in Mexico this weekend, and for the uh, church in Texcoco, their um, anniversary, and so they'll be back with us next week, and we'll hear about how the time went down there with Pastor Aaron de la Borda. And um, so you're stuck with me this morning, and um, I'm wearing my flag. <coughs> But uh, we got a little video we we want to play before we get into the time in the message this morning. The year was 1776. King George III of England hired foreign mercenaries to wage war against the American colonists. They plundered our seas, ravaged our coasts, burned our towns, and destroyed the lives of our people. American patriots inspired their colonial brethren to take a stand against such tyranny. They believed that all men were created equal and that they were endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these were life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. On July 4th, 1776, the 13 United States of America, in response to England's oppression, declared independence. It's not something we do very often in church anymore, but it's something that was done a few years back, uh, many Sundays. Let's stand and have the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the Republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Amen. You may be seated. Our commitment to country is definitely and should definitely be superseded by our commitment to the cross. But we need to remember this great country too and be thankful for what it is.
This morning I wanted to share in our brief time, and my goal is really to have us out at 11 o'clock. And um, I looked over at Tina and her eyes got big like, you're not even going to come close, but that's okay. (laughs) She's in my cell group, so she knows. Um, This morning, I wanted to give us a little bit of uh, history. For some of you, it's just going to be extreme review. Some of you may not know all of the the things I'm going to share this morning and tie it into how we need to live as as Christians. So, Father, we just pray that you would bless this time, Father, in the Word and in in a walk down the history of America and, and the history of the American church to some degree. Father, bless this time. In Jesus' name, amen. I've never really been into history, uh, at least as a, as, a, as a child, as a student. I hated history. In fact, my high school career, um, it was like a, a goal of mine that I didn't realize I had until I looked back and, and realized I had accomplished my goal. Every year of my high school career, I failed one history class. Every year. Until my senior year when I knew if I failed again, I wouldn't get out. Um, and, and so I, every, every year I then had to take, like sophomore year, I had to take my sophomore history as well as my freshman history again. And then my junior year, I had to take my junior history as well as my sophomore history because I failed that. And, and every year I just at least failed one semester, not, not all, all three, but usually at least one. And I really didn't care much for history. As I've become an adult, I understand how important it is to understand it and to know it, and it's become a lot more interesting. Um, I grew up really believing that a huge part of the Declaration of Independence, of us separating out as a nation, was over the principles of religious freedom. And I found that that's really not the purpose of that wasn't the primary purpose of the 1776 Declaration of Independence. England was a religious nation. The United States was a, was a religious nation. And, and the reason for the Declaration was more because of the, the taxes that England was putting onto the colonies. In fact, England had waged war and during the time of war had lost and gone into debt and needed a lot of money. And so King George really started going, there's a lot of resources over in the new colonies. I'm going to get the money for them. And he just started taxing them and taxing them and taxing them. And then he sent soldiers over to help tax them and and all these things. And, And when you read the Declaration of Independence, which I did again and I was surprised, the reasons stated in that were not freedom of religion. God is mentioned in the Declaration of Independence. In the preamble, if, if you remember, who, who memorized the preamble in high school? Okay. Who still remembers it? I knew Tom would. I, 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 I've memor- I memorized the whole thing and uh, without looking at it, I can only get so far, you know, Tom could help. When in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bonds and bands that have connected them to another and to assume among the powers of God and of nature's God, and that's where I started getting off, among a separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitled them, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. That was just the beginning part. 
the laws of nature and of nature's God is one of the few mentions of God or Christianity in the Declaration. The very next part of the Declaration says, We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal and they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Um, it wasn't long before they wrote this that one of the, the signers of the Declaration wanted to actually put in their life, liberty, and the pursuit of land. Yeah. I, I'm glad that, that that didn't make the cut. But, but there was a lot of that. There was, the, there was a lot of the idea of settling and, and expanding um, going on. And the conclusion of the Declaration of Independence... After they list all the grievances, and, and if you read it, all the grievances of what they're upset with King George for doing are listed out. And it gives you a great picture of what they were really upset about. And then you can read the history and find out what, what, he, what King George was doing. But at the conclusion of it, it says, and, and it's just a paragraph, We therefore, the representatives of the United States of America and General Congress assembled, appealing to the supreme judge of the world, for the rectitude of our intentions, do in the name and by the authority of the good people of these colonies solemnly publish and declare that these united colonies are and of right ought to be free and independent states. That they are absolved from all allegiance to the British crown and that all political connection between them and the state of Great Britain as is and ought to be totally dissolved. And that as free and independent states, they have full power to levy war, conclude peace, contract alliances, establish commerce, and to do all other acts and things which independent states may of right do. And for the support of this declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. And that's the conclusion of the Declaration of Independence. That's what we're celebrating today as we're lighting off fireworks. And it's, it's just so good to remember those things. And that last line, we pledge our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. When the signers of the Declaration of Independence, there was 56 of them, 54 of them at least, are known to be connected to the church with, with either their, their attendance. Um, two of them were clergies. Two of the signers of the Declaration were actually clergy. Uh, I believe 24, I believe, had graduated from either seminary or Bible, co or, or Bible school. When they put their signatures on that Declaration, they were all committing treason and had already been at war for a year. For a, for a year fully before the Declaration of Independence, they had been fighting. And they signed that as the full, we are absolving, we are committing treason. John Hancock's biggest signature there, you know, give us your John Hancock. He was saying, I am in this all the way. I want you to know where I stand. Many of them lost their fortunes. Many of the, the signers were, were wealthy. And through the war, 
they lost their fortunes. I believe, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a little, you know, there's always somebody in the congregation you're kind of going, man, how are they going to feel? I'm, I'm going to keep looking back at Tom because Tom's a history guy here. But I believe it was it Thomas Paine who had to open fire in his own home. The, the, the British had gone in and, and gone into his house and taken it over. And it, it, wasn't, it wasn't a little cracker box. It was an estate. And he said, fire. And he watched him destroy his house. It was a tough moment in history. And we're living in all of the glory of the things that they did. We have freedoms. We have so many things to this day because of the hardships. But it wasn't about religious freedom entirely. In fact, more of the founding of the nation of religious freedom happened many years before that, going back to 1620. And so just we get the history, you know, Columbus, when he sailed the ocean blue in 1492, and he discovered America, his main landing was, if I'm correct in this, San Salvador was where he landed. And Columbus, everywhere he went, he put up a cross because he was discovering it for God. He was Christianizing the, the, the nations. But he found it. It wasn't until Ponce de Leon in 1512 or something like that actually discovered and came up and settled in Florida. And after that time, France and Spain were the main people coming and setting up stakes here in the United States, both uh, on the West Coast and on the East Coast. And it wasn't until... 1600 and something that England, or 1585, I think actually, that England came up and made their first settlement uh, in Roanoke, Virginia, the Roanoke Islands. And from then on, England just began to come over and colonize. A few years later, in 1620, was the arrival of the group that we, we know and have celebrated for, for years and have been confused because most of us don't know our history. And I'm one of them. I'm so glad I'm studying and learning this. I thought the pilgrims came over in 1492 and the Columbus landed at Plymouth Rock. Come on, who would be brave enough to say they didn't? Okay, all right. You know, the, the, the pilgrims didn't come in 1492 and Columbus, like I said, actually didn't come to the States. He came to Central America. In 1620, I'll back up a little bit. In the, in the 1600s, there was a group of people living in England and they were sold out. They were zealous for the things of God. And they wanted to have a more pure religion. In fact, they really believed that the Church of England, which had broken away from the Catholic Church, and that was, you know, back when, when the king wanted to get a divorce and the Catholic Church wouldn't let him. And so he says, well, we're going gonna, to you know, make our own religion and, and I'm going to set up my own archbishops and they can let me have my divorce. And uh, so, so the, England had already done that. And the Church of England was reigning, which was really more of the Anglican Church, uh, what would look like the Anglican Church. And, but there was a group of people who wanted a more pure and sincere religion living in England, and they thought that the, the church needed to get a little more strict so that they would look less like the Catholic Church. So these people began to gather together as often groups of people will do, and they still do today. Those with similar beliefs are going to end up at similar places. And this group of people became known as the Puritans or the Separatists living in England. 
And they wanted to get together and, 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 and to live more holy. And so they actually moved to the Netherlands. This whole group of people went over to the Netherlands and they lived there for about 12 years and they set up uh, their churches and began to worship. But after about nine years, they said, we're still being uh, corrupted. Our kids are being corrupted by customs, the Dutch customs and language. And so they started a journey, a three-year journey of getting the money and the plans and the permission from England to go to the United States to set up a colony. And they, and they received that permission. And so they journeyed back to England. And there was a whole bunch of problems there. The ship that they first chartered to do this whole trip was, was basically sank in the harbor and they had to start back over and save up new money. And in September, September of 1620, they set out from England to discover and to make a colony of the United States. Now, if, if any of you are sailors, can you think of any problems with starting a cross-Atlantic journey in September? They were months behind schedule of making this journey. And yet they said, we must press on. And so they did it. And they crossed and they were all ravaged by scurvy and, and sickness. And, and a few of the people on, on the ship died. And what was the name of that ship? The Mayflower. They were heading to Hudson Bay. That's where they had permission to go. But because they started so late, they'd never make it to Hudson Bay. And they settled and they came right off the, off the coast in a place called Cape Cod, Massachusetts. And that's where the only place they could go. Winter was upon them. And that first year was horrible. So many of the people died. In fact, some even died on the ship while they were waiting, while they, they would send the men of Gord, uh, to the to lands to see if it was safe. And, and you, we know the stories. You know, that's when they began to encounter the Indians for the first time. And, and uh, Chief Massasoit um, you know, came and they made the alliances. And, and, and that's the first Thanksgiving happened shortly after that. But the Puritans came and settled in this nation to have religious, not just freedom... Because they were free in the Netherlands. And they could love and serve God in England, but they wanted a purity and devotion. They wanted to be able to serve God more pure. Over the next course of the next 16 years, the course of the next 16 years after 1620, some 20,000 Puritans made the same journey from England or the Netherlands to settle. And they settled all up and down the East Coast. The majority of the first colonies were, were colonized by the Puritans for the simple purpose of having a place that they could worship God, not just freely, but purely, and not be corrupted, and not allow the sins and the customs of the people around them to, to bring them back. It didn't work. It didn't work. They began to separate out and... and very few groups stayed staunch Puritans. They began to move to Boston and different places. And that's the beginning of the history of this nation. 1620 was the what I would say the real beginning of the big thrust of colonizing these United States. 150 years later is when we decided that we no longer wanted to be part of England. We wanted to be independent. They wanted to be independent from the rule of Britain. But let me tell you about the people who declared that independence. They were lovers of God. 
54 of them, of the 56, we know to be those who believed in God, believed in Jesus. I've got some wonderful statements that lest we ever believe. And the world is trying to tell us that the founding fathers were not Christians. Lest we ever fall into believing that and then question where we came. Let me read you some statements of some of the founding fathers. Most of them were signers on the Declaration of Independence. And I actually have... Uh, if, if anyone's interested, if they really like history, I've got a number of pages that mi list out the 54 people and statements they said that we, um, reasons we conclude that they are believers. Benjamin Franklin says this, Here's my creed. I believe in one God, the Creator of the universe, that He governs it by His providence, that He ought to be worshipped. Thomas Jefferson said, I am a real Christian. This is to say a disciple of the doctrines of Jesus Christ. James Madison, third president of the United States, cursed be all that learning is contrary to the cross of Christ. Cursed be all that learning that is contrary to the cross of Christ. Patrick Henry, who then became the five-term governor of Virginia, said, this is all the inheritance I can give to my dear family. But the religion of Christ can give them one which will make them rich indeed. Samuel Adams knew that commitment to morality, and he was a believer, but commitment to morality was so important that it says, neither the wisest constitution nor the wisest laws will secure the liberty and happiness of a people whose manners are universally corrupt. Charles Carroll Charles Carroll saw the dangers that we're now facing in our nation when he said, without morals, a republic cannot subsist any length of time. Something else Benjamin Franklin said as he was aging, said, I have lived, sir, a long time, and the longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see of this truth, that God governs in the affairs of men. And if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, is, is it probable that an empire can rise without his aid? We have been assured, sir, in the sacred writings that except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. I firmly believe this. I therefore beg leave to move that henceforth prayers imploring the assistance of heaven and its blessings on our deliberations be held in the assembly every morning before we proceed. Thomas Jefferson, and, the, and can the liberties of a nation be thought secure if we have lost the only firm basis, a conviction in the minds of the people that these liberties are the gift of God? It is the duty of all nations, George Washington said, to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God, to obey His will, to be grateful for His benefits, and humbly to implore His protection and favor. And finally, John Adams, the second president of the United States, says, Our Constitution was made only for moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate for the government of any other. In the times of those writings, the word religious was synonymous with Christian doctrine. They, they, they didn't... They didn't even have in their thinking that religious could mean Muslim. 
They did. It wasn't there. It wasn't there. That was just so far. It was synonymous with Christian doctrine. This country, the 1776 Declaration of Independence, was not about religious freedom. And I, I believe the reason why is because it didn't need to be. These people knew that they were free to worship God in their hearts. They had a relationship with Almighty God. They worshipped Him. And the majority of people around did also. They were becoming independent from a, another nation. And there was wonderful things in that document um, that, that was just great to hear. It says, these things are not entered into lightly and never should be to absolve from a nation. The thing that I see in our nation today, though, is that we are, though we have declared independence from England 200 years ago, that many of us are declaring independence from God as well. We're on a slow parting from being truly dependent upon God because we've been so blessed and so fruitful in our nation. We've entirely too dependent upon ourselves. Even, and I'm not talking about the non-Christians. Of course non-Christians are not dependent on God. I'm talking about Christians. I'm talking about believers. We're in danger of becoming wholly independent of God. And allowing God to just be out there somewhere. What some would call to become a deist. Who says, well, God's out there and, and He's kind of got things under control, but He's really not involved personally with me or in the affairs That's of my life. Absolutely a true statement. Absolutely true. And so today, as we celebrate independence, one of the things we want to do is to make sure that our hearts are right and dependent upon God. You've all heard of the Mayflower Compact. If you went to school today, you wouldn't be hear it taught this way. The Mayflower Compact was the name of the agreement that the purists, the separatists, and the, the strangers on the boat, because they, they took a ride together, and that's another part of the history, they had to make because they were at odds and at war with each other, so they came up with this agreement on how to govern their, their colonies as they would begin to colonize and in the schools today, much of this is taken out. But this is what it said, just the beginning of it. In the name of God, Amen. We whose names... And don't you like that? I thought, isn't that, isn't that the way you're supposed to end something? But this is, you know, no, no, they had it right. We start it this way too. Everything we start is in the name of God, so be it. In the name of God, Amen, we whose names are underwritten by the loyal subjects of our dread sovereign Lord King James, and dread didn't mean feared, it meant respected and honored, by the grace of God of Great Britain, France, Ireland, King, Defender of the Faith, etc., having undertaken for the glory of God and advancement of the Christian faith and honor of our King and country, a voyage to plant the first colony in the northern parts of Virginia. And then it goes on and talks about the, how they're going to work together. They started it out right. They were reliant upon God, praying constantly, understanding that God was involved completely in their lives. As we go out this weekend, and this message is for me, 
We need to thank Him for the independence that we have. This nation has become a great nation. This nation, despite its woes and despite its problems, sends more missionaries. We're sending one from our little tiny church here in Big Bear. Sends more missionaries around the world than any other nation. Sends more financial support. Sends more food support. This nation helps other nations more than any other nation in the world. We still live in a great nation. But So as we celebrate that part, which I, I pray you do, Take the time also to look at our lives and say, God, have I become too independent of you? Some of us men struggle with this because by nature, we as men are independent. By nature, we want to do things ourselves. We get a problem and it's our nature to, to, before we ever even pray, say, I can fix that. I can do that. Give us a problem, and or or start talking about a problem. You know, wives, you can relate with this because this is what you you know you're you're sick of it. Start telling your husband the thing, and we're, you, you can just see in our eyes. You're, we're just waiting for you to pause to say, "I'm going to fix it for you." You know. Oh, I had a fight with you know with my girlfriend. Your wife might say, and well, Suzanne, here's what you need to do. Call, and we're just going to make it. We're going to fix it. When that independent, fixed mentality, when we allow that to creep into our Christianity, we become independent of God. And so, man, it's really hard for us, but we need to begin to say, God, I can't really do a good job without You. Help me. You know, we're not incapable. We're not incapable. We could do quite a bit on our own. Really. Look at all the non-Christians. Look at all the unbelievers and what they've accomplished. But we want to accomplish things that are part of the will of God. We want to accomplish things that we will be blessed by God. We want to have supernatural wisdom, not just natural wisdom. And we need to rely on God. Women, we need to be dependent on God, on our Heavenly Father. This weekend, this message was a simple walk. I, I think it's important that we know our history, where we came from. Ending up to, thank you God for independence. Help me to be dependent upon you. Because we're in church, I want to read a few scriptures. <laughs> Psalm 31.14 And these scriptures are all just the psalmist and different people who who needed God. I trust in You, O Lord. You are my God. Psalm 143.8 says, Let the morning bring me word of Your unfailing love, for I have put my trust in You. Show me the way I should go, for to You I will lift up my soul. You look at that and you go, man, that must have been written by a woman because no man will say, show me the way I should go. <laughs> But David was, was tapping into his dependence on God. If only Moses would have done that. You know, Moses, you know the reason they wandered around for 40 years in the desert was because he wouldn't stop and ask for directions. <laughs> Psalm 56 says, When I am afraid, I will trust in you. Most of us men say, well, When I am afraid, I'm going to pretend I'm not. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust. I will not be afraid. What can mortal man do to me? 
in John 15, which is a wonderful chapter. It's, it's really Jesus' last will and testament to, to His disciples right after the, the, the Last Supper. He goes out and He takes a walk to the Garden of Gethsemane and along the way He says that great passage that we're familiar with. If you've never had the opportunity or never took the chance to read the, the book Secrets of the Vine, it's, it's this big. Even us men can read it. Um, I'm really ra- you know, razzing on us, but I know that I, I, you know, it's hard for me to read. I'm not a reader, but um, it's a great book. It talks about the last t- times with, with um, Jesus' disciples, but he, this is where he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. We need to be in him, remain in him. And here's the great thing, we're going to bear fruit as we do that. We give up our life, we give up our rights to our life, and then we begin to bear much fruit. And I'd rather bear much fruit because without Him I know that I bear very little good fruit. Psalm 62 says, My salvation and my honor depend on God, for He is my mighty rock and my refuge. Trust in Him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts to Him, for God is our refuge. And corporately, if we will become dependent again upon God, we can live Psalm thirty-three, twelve that says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. We need to become dependent on Him again in our daily activities and everywhere we go. God, I need You. God, You have a plan for this day. Can I be part of it? I've said this before and, and I'm, I'll say it again. That's the prayer. We, we sometimes get it out of whack. We have the prayer, God, I'm going to go do this and this and this and this. Will you bless my day? <laughs> and, and it sounded so right for so many years until I, I thought about that and went, boy, I have a lot of plans that I don't include God in. Hey God, you've got a plan for today. Can I be part of your plan? So just a simple shift in the mind. Even when you go to work and that's part of your plan, if you keep that in your mind, you're going to be going there and aware, wow, God might actually have something for me today at work besides just shoveling dirt or pushing pencils. Wholly dependent upon the One who created it all. The Founding Fathers understood that we needed God in our nation and we needed to rely on Him. We need to come back daily Begin to be more like the Puritans. I don't think we should go and colonize somewhere and set up camp and be so far away from the world that we, we can't influence them. But we need to check and see how influenced we are by the world rather than us influencing them. And we're not supposed to look just like the world. We're supposed to look like Jesus. But we can only do that as we rely on Him. Father, the message was, was short. God, I thank You for the history. Your history in the Word. And the history of this nation. God, I thank You that it was founded on godly principles. On morality. On the fear of God. Lord, I thank You that because of the great Christian principles 
there is such still to this day, even though it's sometimes hard to see, a great Christian influence in our nation. Father, I pray personally that you would help me each day to become more dependent upon you. Father, I pray that you'd help me to do this by choice before you help me to do it through circumstances that I really don't welcome. Help me to choose to rely on you. Help me to remember to seek your face early in the morning. Help me to speak with you throughout the day when I want to make a decision. Help me to hear your voice. I pray that for all of us this morning. Lord, as we go from here, I pray for safety. God, I pray that you just really bless everyone's day. Let them enjoy their time with family and friends and celebrating this nation and celebrating you. Keep us safe. Father, keep the roads safe as many people will be drinking and, and driving. Father, uh, we just thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.